Well, I mentioned in my prayer that we've been in the life of Abraham. We're going to continue that today. We're in Genesis chapter 17, uh, and we're going to be on, I believe it's page 15 of those chair Bibles in front of you. It's a nice, easy page to find. Or if you have your own Bible, you just open up to that first book of Genesis, and you'll find our text there. Now, I will say, I'm going to say something a little bit unusual as we get into this one. I do actually have to, to put a, a warning label on this sermon, all right? I don't, I don't normally do this on a sermon. Uh, I promise you it's not because of the language that I'm going to use, all right, uh, or, the, or the content of what I'm going to say, but the text itself brings up some things uh, that if your kids have not taken advantage of our fantastic children's ministry, or if you don't hand them a phone right now to distract them, uh, there might be some interesting questions on the ride home. So that's my, that's my little disclaimer here. We're going to deal with the text because it's God's word. It is important and vital to us. Uh, but just to give you that heads up before we dive right in. As we think about this, this message this morning, I'd like for you to try to think about something that I think has probably happened to all of us. Uh, have you ever had someone look at you, like a teacher or a boss, maybe a, a parent, you ever had someone look at you and tell you or see something in you that you didn't see in yourself? Could be the coach of your team that asked you to be the captain it could be a teacher that asked you to participate in something that you didn't think that you were ready to do. I, my guess is that all, all of us at some point in our lives, someone has come to us and said, I really think you could do this. And we look back at them and shake our head and we say, I don't think you're right. I don't think that's possible. I remember uh, in middle school, I was a, I was a very quiet student uh, through elementary school and middle school. And I had an eighth grade teacher I don't remember uh, it, really anything much else that happened <laughs> through eighth grade. I don't mean to discourage the teachers among us, but I don't remember anything else that happened. But I remember one teacher asked me to stay after class uh, one day. It was my, my history teacher, Mrs. Grabowski. And she asked me to stay after class, which was unusual for me because I usually didn't say anything and I usually stayed out of trouble. And, and so she asked me to stay after class and she sat me down after class and she said, listen, you're a reasonably intelligent person, but no one will ever know if you don't say anything. And I thought to myself, but I'm just not, I'm not that kind of person that's just going to speak in class. Like I, I can't do that. I, I didn't see inside of myself what she saw in me. And now you know that every Sunday when I get up and talk, it's her fault uh, that you have to listen to this. But have you ever had that? It's like someone comes in. I mean, it's a movie plot line. It's a, it's a book plot line, whether it's Frodo or Luke Skywalker. Someone's coming along and saying, you have this in you. And, and, the, and the character is saying, I, I don't see it. Have you ever had that happen? You know, I think for many people, church on a Sunday morning is one of those experiences. Where you come in. And you listen to the preacher and you listen to the words of the songs and you hear the stories and you see what's happening. And the preacher says over and over again, God wants to work through you. God wants to use you. God has something special for your life. Uh, God loves you. And, and you say back, listen, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think it's me. I know God uses people, but he uses other people. And I know God speaks to people, but he speaks to other people. 
He doesn't do those sorts of things to me. I, I think that sort of experience can happen to us when we're sitting in church as well. And this morning, as we look at the life of Abraham, we're actually going to get to a point in Abraham's life where God says something to Abraham and he says it again. He said it multiple times to Abraham, but Abraham looks around at who he is and what his situation is. And he looks back at God and says, I don't think so. I don't think that's me. I don't think it can happen. And the question is, what are you and I to do in those moments If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, those moments when you hear people saying that God wants to work and God wants to move and you look back at your life and who you are and you say, well, I don't think that's possible for me. I'm going to read the whole of Genesis chapter 17. We're going to go from verse 1 to verse 21. Now, I realize that this is a large chunk of text to read straight through. So just hang with me and we'll get through it and then we'll talk about it together. But it's really one story <coughs> that I think it makes sense to read it together. So let's, let's do this. Genesis 17, verse one. When Abram was 99 years old, now let me, I'll just make a quick note there. If you were with us last week, we were in chapter 16, and Abram uh, was, in his, was 86 years old. We see at the very last verse of chapter 16. So 13 years have passed in one verse. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people as he has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. 
I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. (laughs) My guess is as you listen to that, you have a few questions coming out of that passage. So let's talk about it. There's this moment. In fact, there's two moments in this passage where Abram falls down on his face before God. Two times in this passage where Abram falls down on his face before God. And the first time, it's when God establishes himself and appears to Abram and says, I am God Almighty. And Abram, just like many of us did, maybe metaphorically in worship, fell down on his face before God, recognizing that you are God and you are supreme and I am not. That's the first time we see him fall down on his face. But there's a second time in verse 17 that Abram, now Abraham at this point, falls down on his face. And the second time, it's a little different because this time God reaffirms a promise that if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you've heard God say to Abraham over and over and over again as he's gotten older, you will have a son. And this time Abraham falls down and laughs and he starts to look around and he says, God, I have listened to your promise and I have believed but I am a hundred years old. If you give me a baby next year, I will be a hundred years old. And my wife, Sarah, will be 90 years old. And here's the, here's the truth about your life and my life. And I think what we see going in Abraham's life now. When God says he's going to do something through you, it is easy to laugh in disbelief. Have you ever been there? And when God says he's going to do something and he's going to work, it is really easy to look at ourselves and to look at our situation and laugh in disbelief. And that's right where Abraham is. Abraham sees what's happening and God appears and he falls down on his face, it says in verse three. And then again, after God reaffirms his promise, he falls down on his face and laughs. And the reason he laughs is because of his age and because of Sarah's age. And it does seem a little ridiculous, doesn't it? That you could have a husband and wife who are 100 years old and 90 years old and that God would still be promising them a child. And it's so easy in your life and my life. 
to hear that God wants to do something, that God wants to work inside of us and that God wants to move and then look at ourselves and who we are and just shake that off, isn't it? That's what Abram does here. And I wonder if that's happened to you. Will you come in and the preacher or the small group leader or, or the, the sermon that you're listening to online, somebody says, God wants to move and he wants to use you. And he wants to use you to reach someone close to you for Jesus, let's say. And you look at your life and you say, there's no possible way that that's me. Because I don't have all the answers. Some people have the answers. Some people know what to say. I never know what to say. So there's no way that God could possibly mean that he's going to use me to do that. And I don't know what the list of disqualifications are that you have in your life, but we all have them, don't we? Well, God wants to use you, but I mean, you don't know my past. Yes, God uses people, but he uses people that didn't have these things happen to them when they were growing up. He uses people that didn't make the mistakes that I made in my life. Well, yeah, I believe God uses people, but I'm, see, I'm single. I'm not married, so God doesn't use me like that. Well, God, God uses people, but I'm divorced. God uses people, but we don't have children. God uses people, but, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't really ever have the words to say. Yeah, I know some people, they pray, and they, and they know all the words to say. And sometimes I feel like God wants me to pray, but there's no possible way I'm going to pray because I never know the words to say. And there's no way that God would use someone like me in that way. I think we all know what it's like to be in Abraham's position here. To hear that God wants to do something and then immediately find the disqualifying reasons why it can't happen. I know what this is like as, as, as a pastor. Because I feel like God calls me to do things and God calls me to say things and I can find all sorts of disqualifying reasons that I know about in my life and growing up with it, then I can look and compare myself to other pastors and say, well, but I'm not like that. So maybe God doesn't want to use me in that way. I remember another teacher story for you. I remember when I got to high school, I can tell you that there were subjects I was good at. Maybe you know what this is like. There were subjects I was good at in high school. And they were the kind of things like reading and history and those sorts of things. There were things that I was terrible at in high school, like could never wrap my mind around. And it was really anything involving math, physics, chemistry, anything that involved math. In fact, this is uh, why I married an accountant, really. It's so that I would have someone in my life that could, that could help me figure out mathematics as I got older. And... I remember being a sophomore in high school and sitting in math class, and I did not do well in math. And I had a teacher who kind of thought I was a nice person, liked me, uh, and, but, but, you know, kind of let me slide through, if we're being honest. And I remember a couple of times she actually allowed me to just sleep through the class because she knew I wasn't really interested in what was going on. I'm not proud of this. I'm not, I'm not suggesting this. I'm just telling you what happened, all right? She let me like sleep through class and, and, would, and you know, it just, it wasn't my, my best year of uh, high school math, let's say. I have a younger sister who's five years younger than me. And by the time my sister had this teacher, I was in college. 
And I remember I was talking to my sister one day and my sister, Julia, she said, oh, Mrs. I can't remember her name. Mrs. So-and-so, she asked me about you. And I said, oh yeah. And I, I said, uh, I said, I remember her. I said, what, what did you tell her? She said, well, I told her that you were in college studying to be a pastor. And I was like, well, what did she say about that? And she said, nothing. She couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> And I hear something like that and I can go back in my life and I can figure out all the disqualifying reasons that I have to not lean into what God has asked me to do. And I wonder for you sitting here this morning, what are the, what are the things? For Abraham, it was his age, his age and Sarah's age, that he hears God say something and he says, well, God, this, this can't happen. And in fact, Abraham offers a plan B. My son Ishmael, and if you remember the story from, from last week, you remember that, that Abraham and Sarai tried to shortcut God's plan by having Ishmael with the, their servant Hagar. Ishmael now is 13 years old. And Abraham's watched him grow into a young man. And so Abraham offers another plan. Why don't we use Ishmael, God? Because this clearly is not going to happen. And you and I do that with the Lord too. I want you to lead this. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to speak out. I want you to share. I want you to help. I want you to serve. And we say, God, I can't serve. Other people serve. They're the ones that have the ability to serve. And they're the ones that have the ability to evangelize. How about you use them? And God says to you. And he says to Abraham, no. I'm giving you a son and his name will be Isaac. And here's the thing that I want, I think this text reminds us of. And again, I've said this before with the story of Abraham. It's so hard to draw one-to-one -one comparisons from Abraham and Sarai and Isaac's life to our life because it's such a particular covenant and particular promise in the, in the story of how God is working throughout history. And yet there is something here that we learn about our own relationship with God and how we interact with him. And what I want you to remember today is that when you are tempted to laugh at the plans of God in your life, when you are tempted to, to, to think that God is not going to use you, I want you to remember who God is and who you are in him. When you're tempted to think that God's not going to use you, I want you to remember who God is and who you are in him. In Genesis 17, verse one, God comes to Abram and he says to him these words, I am God almighty. This is a new name for God. In the Hebrew, you may have heard this before. In the Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. And God comes to Abram and he says, listen, this is who I am. 
There is not a single thing, Abram, that is happening in your life or that happens in this world that I am not over and that I am not in control of. I am almighty. I I see it all. I put it all in place and I'm in control over it all. And God establishes himself in this passage. And I would encourage you in this moment today, if you're in a place where you feel like God is calling you to do something and you're coming up with all the reasons why you're disqualified for doing it, I want to remind you who he is. He's God Almighty. He knows it all and he sees it all. And I want you to remember who you are in him. If you follow Christ with your life, the Apostle Paul tells us that you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. God changes you. He makes you new. And God is working in Abraham's, Abraham and Sarah's lives too. And he starts to change things so that they'll remember that God has made a promise to them. In fact, in the text you saw, God changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. From exalted father, which is what Abram means, to father of multitudes, which is what Abraham means. I mean, can you imagine that? Here, Abram is 99 years old and he's being called exalted father every single time that someone calls his name and he has no child. Over and over and over again throughout his life. And now he's going back to people and he's saying, don't call me exalted father anymore. Call me father of the multitudes. Call me father of the nations. And you can imagine his servants and the people around him who he still has no son now saying, uh, father of the multitudes, it's time for dinner. Father of the multitudes, it's great to see you today. But it's a reminder of the promise. He changes Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. Sarah. Sarai means princess. And I wish this was more dramatic, but Sarah means princess. But it's a shift. And every time he calls his wife Sarah rather than Sarai, and every time she calls him Abraham instead of Abram, it's a reminder of the promise. God takes something that was known in their culture, the the process of circumcision. This isn't something new. And you have to, you have to, we have to constantly put ourselves in Abram and Sarai's shoes. This is 1800 BC. This is 4,000 years ago. And God is going to consistently use the things that are around them to help them understand who he is. And so he uses this, this process as being used in the world around them as a way to to mark people and signify some sort of significance. He's now using it to say, if you are doing this on eight days old to the men that that are born to you, to the boys that are born to you, this is a mark that sets them apart from me. It's a reminder of the covenant. And God's in the business of, of doing this, creating reminders, infusing new meaning in something. It's like we talked about with with J.Y. and Grace's wedding. I mean, you can wear a ring. 
You can put a ring on your finger, but when the ring goes on that ring finger of your left hand, it usually signifies something different. It marks a covenant that you've made. And when Noah gets out of the ark, it's not the first ever rainbow that's ever been seen on the earth, but God infuses it with new meaning. Noah, every time you see the rainbow, I want you to remember the cross that Jesus died on was not the first cross that the Romans killed someone on. And yet when Jesus dies on it, it becomes infused with meaning so that every time we see it, we remember the covenant. So that Paul might say, I, I know nothing among you than Christ and him crucified. So God creates this, this model in which, in which he's saying that, that I'm going I'm to give you a sign. I'm going to infuse things with meaning so that you remember the promise that I have made to you. I'm going to do things among you so that you know my promise is true. Where is it in your life today that God is calling you to do something? God is speaking to you and you can come up with the ways and the reasons why you're disqualified. Let me remind you that God is who he said he is. He is the almighty. He is El Shaddai. And he made you new in Christ. You are not who you were. He rewrote your story. And I've had so many people to me over the years say, well, pastor, I wish God spoke to me, but he doesn't. But he does, if you would read his word. He does. Pastor, I wish I knew how to pray, but I don't know how to pray. Well, God gives you all sorts of examples in his word. Pray the Psalms, see what God does. Pray the Lord's Prayer, see what God does. And how over time you grow. We had something happen in the life of our church recently that many of you uh, probably have not heard about. And I just, I felt in prayer this morning that, that I should share this story here. And so I very quickly asked some of the people involved if I could share it this morning. And Joseph and Asanat were gracious enough to say I could share it. If you were with us a couple of months ago, if you were with us a couple months ago, we had a sermon on prayer. And we said, well, rather than just talk about prayer, we're actually going to do it. And so we got into some small groups around the sanctuary and we spent some time in, in small prayer groups. And my prayer group was right back here in front of this door and Joseph and Asanat here sitting in, in, in this row here were, were standing in my prayer group and relatively new to our church, had only been a handful of times. And I said, are there any prayer requests? And Asanat spoke up right off the bat and said, listen, Joseph and I have been married for a while and we've been trying to have a child and it just hasn't happened. Would you pray with us? And I was so Im impressed by that faith in that moment. Because I can't read your mind, Asanat, but I'm guessing that there could be all sorts of disqualifying reasons not to share something so personal so openly. We just met each other. 
It's hard to share those kind of things in a prayer circle like that. I certainly have been in a prayer circle and felt that God wanted me to bring up something uh, deeply personal and something that I was battling and walking through. And I said, uh, just kept quiet. But she said it and we prayed. And after we prayed, uh, Garris, who I didn't talk to before this morning, so give me grace here, Garris, sharing this story. Garris said, he prayed for them and then he said, I really feel like God is telling me that you're going to have a baby. And after our prayer time, Garris and I talked and all those disqualifying things start to come up, don't they? I felt like God wanted me to say this. Was I supposed to say it? Did I overstep? Did I go too far? A couple weeks ago, I saw Garris and Asanat and Joseph talking in the back of our church. And I walked up and they said, Pastor, you'll never believe what happened. We prayed in that circle. Garris said he felt like God was telling him we were going to have a baby. On Tuesday of that week, we felt like God was telling us to take the test and we were pregnant. And now here we are a couple months later, still anticipating the birth of this child. See, there's all sorts of places where we can talk ourselves out of doing what God's calling us to do. And we have to be so sure that God's calling us to do it. You know, with this text, there's all sorts of places we could go. This is such an important text in scripture. In the Old Testament and moving into the New, God talks about not just the external circumcision of flesh, but the circumcision of our heart and what that means. We could have talked about that this morning. We could have gone to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, where, where, uh, where uh, the Matthew uh, writes the lineage between Jesus back down to Abraham. And talked about how, yes, Abraham indeed became the father of nations and God blessed the world through him. We can talk about Romans 4 where the apostle Paul, he refers back to this, to this text and he talks about Abraham's great faith in the moment. We could have gone there. We could have gone into the book of Galatians where the church is fighting over new believers and old believers and whether people had to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul says, no, that's part of the old covenant. Now it's about your heart and what God's doing inside of you. But I really felt that God wanted me to say this to you this morning. That when God comes and speaks to you out of his word and gives you promises and calls you to do things, it is so easy to look at your situation and all the disqualifying factors. Say no and offer him a plan B. but God wants to use you. He wants to work through you. And there are promises in scripture that are yours in Christ. And as long as you believe there's no other disqualifying factor, regardless of what's happened to you or where you've been or your age or gender or any of those things, So when you find it difficult to believe that God will do something through you, I want you to remember what God has already done in you. 
that he is God Almighty. He has sent his son who has died on the cross for your sin. That this promise that was given to Abraham has come true through Christ. And that he, want to work, he wants to work in and through you. Not just the church, not just the people around you, but in and through you. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up to the front here. And I'm going to invite our ushers if they would. We're going to, as we close, have an opportunity to receive communion together. And our ushers are going to start to pass out communion. I will say, if you're visiting with us this morning and you don't feel like you want to take communion, you are more than welcome to let the basket pass you by. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of whether or not Mount Hope is your home church, you are welcome to partake in communion today. But as we come to communion... I'd like to give you and I a moment to spend some time in prayer and to think about those places in your life where God may be calling you to do something, to step out and do something that, that you're not necessarily comfortable with or that it's hard for you to believe that he could possibly do in and through you. And I'd like for you to reflect on the sacrifice that's been made on your behalf at the cross. So as our worship team begins to play, with those of you who have already received communion, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you for how you continue to speak to us through your word. That God, that you are not silent. And I thank you for how you use us, broken as we are. I thank you for how you use us to make your name great and to carry out your work in the world around us. And God, I pray right now by your spirit that you would speak to us. Lord, there are some in the room that can't imagine that you have anything for them to do. Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak? Lord, there are some of us in the room that have felt that you have called us to something. And we've come up with all sorts of reasons why it can't happen. We've got a great plan B for you. Lord, help us to step into your plan for our lives. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the work that you've already done in us through Jesus Christ. May it be a reminder to us that you are God Almighty. You are the one who has defeated 
death. And so there is nothing that's happening in our world that you cannot handle. We read in scripture that on the night that Jesus was with his disciples, much like God did for Abram, he took something that his disciples were very familiar with, bread and wine, and he infused it with new meaning. He took bread that was on the table and you can go ahead and open up that side of your cup that has the bread. He took bread from the table and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. Thank you, Lord. Then he took after dinner, the Bible says, cup, a cup from the table. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. Lord, thank you for what you have done. It gives us hope for what you will do. Amen.